Hello folks, welcome back and if you're a new listener, welcome to the show. You're listening to the High Performance Human Podcast and I'm your host, Simon Ward. Now hey, I just wanted to let you know that you are a high performance human. You might not believe me, but listen on for a few seconds because the concept of high performance can be described as a measurable state where an individual, and that's you, consistently performs at a higher level of operational success compared with most of their peers within the same environment at a particular time. And that's across all areas of your life. High performance is not just absolute, it's relative. So if you are an endurance athlete and you train or compete regularly, don't just compare yourself against those other athletes. Instead, think about other folks of your age and compared to them, you are operating at a very high level. Now, I appreciate that you might still want to improve and if so, then we'd love to help you. It could be sleep, nutrition, physical activity, or maybe personal relationships, work habits, and a whole lot more. So I've currently got availability to take on one or two clients. And my wife, Beth, who is a certified life coach, also has some availability. So depending on what you're looking to focus on, we've got you covered. And you can find details in the show notes below. Now you might have noticed a theme with some recent podcasts as I've been searching out inspirational older athletes to share with you just what the future might hold if you've got the enthusiasm and adjust your approach in the right way for you. One thing I have struggled to find is other coaches who specialize in working with older athletes but that's corrected today as I'm speaking with Joe Lewis. Joe's a female triathlete in the 65 to 69 age group although she looks many years younger. And as you will hear in the conversation, 14 years ago, Joe started a coaching group to cater specifically for athletes, oh, triathletes over 50. As one herself, she realized that no one was catering for the older age groups. Now, fast forward to 2024, both Joe and her group are still going strong. And in the next hour, we chat about her own triathlon journey, her proactive approach to aging that has kept her fit, healthy and competitive. And we also get into some of the specific coaching strategies she employs with her older athletes, including the inclusion and volume of HIIT training, specific strength training work, and her attention to things like rest and recovery. Once again, if you're an older athlete looking to stay at the top of your game, then like in our previous podcast, you're going to find some great information coming up. So let's hear from Joe. Welcome to the show, Joe Lewis. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed, Simon. No, it's it's an absolute pleasure, Joe. And um, there's a couple of reasons I really wanted to chat with you today. Obviously, your athletic career, um, which is still going at the uh, young age of uh, the bright young age of 69. And if anybody, I'll share a photograph of you because I think most people would want to have a look at your birth certificate to see if you're telling the truth because you definitely don't look 69. Um, uh, but also you're a triathlon coach and you're very specifically aiming at folks over the age of 50. And that really intrigues me because I know when we get into talking about that part, you did that because you couldn't find anybody else who was coaching over fifties. And so I feel like now having, having done that for a few years, you've got an awful lot of knowledge that um, is difficult to come across. So I'd really like to dig into that and some of the, some of the um, nuances that you apply and have found. Um, working oh, with older athletes. Yes, that's very true. Um, I set up Tri50 in 2010, and it was when I was on my level three, um, BTF level three course with a lady who then became a very good friend. 
Beata, and we were sharing accommodation because it was over three weekends, I think. And I sat up in bed. Um, we were doing our revision, and I said, Beata, there's a niche here. Let's try and set up a business for the over 50s. Mm-hmm. We're just going into that age group ourselves. Oh, what, what is it? 14 years? No, I was well into that age group by then. And I said, um, I think we have the experience of what we've done already mm. to set up something that can cater for mature athletes. Well, I mean, what a great idea. But And sadly, there aren't many people who followed your lead, are there? Um, so, uh, no, they introduce it as an aspect of their triathlon clubs. But as you know, the majority of people within triathlon clubs are much younger. Mm. And therefore, the, the more mature athlete feels a little bit intimidated. But also, the, the, probably the session isn't structured for that um, person. Mm. And then yeah. they lose heart because they can't keep up. Mm-hmm. There's not progressive um, sessions. So they then bail out and then probably give it up if, unless someone like me picks them up or they email me. Yeah, absolutely. And and also, you know, uh, if, if coaches are working on what the research says, well, that's mostly done on college age kids, isn't it? So I never, yes. I never know how um, relevant that is anyway. Most of the articles uh, um, that you find written in magazines or plans that are freely available – uh, are written for younger athletes so they don't they don't go in some of the um more detailed um elements like you know do what's about recovery in between mm-hmm. in between repetitions you know if you're doing you're talking about coaching in the pool there if you're doing repetitions in a swim set and you're going hard for 100 meters that's you know one and a half to two to two and a half minutes of work a younger athlete might be recovered in 15 seconds, but an older athlete might need a little longer, but every, but then the coach will say, yeah, but if you don't get, if you don't have these short rests, you won't get the benefit. Well, if you're, if you're absolutely, you know, if you're absolutely out and exhausted, you're not going to get any benefit. And in fact, you'll probably stop at rep three instead of going for for Mm. eight reps. And that's something I'm very, very conscious of. It's always the swimming sets that Mm -hmm. probably make it, harder because the breathing is more labored and then they've got to get mm. in and put the mm-hmm. faces in the water. So that's an aspect of the coaching that I really enjoy. But athletes find it difficult. But in the more mature ones, I always say, don't worry. We won't have such a specific rest until at such time as I know that you're swimming and your technique is correct. And then I know that you can manage that. Mm. And they accept that. And then mm. it, it just carries on. It's probably you. <laughs> Let, 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 let's let's go back in time a little bit because obviously you'd got a, a even before you started on this coaching journey you'd got a pretty good background as a triathlete so um and obviously then you've used a lot of that experience that you've got and your own training as an older athlete to then um reflect and think about how you, you can help other folks in in the same age bracket apply that so um how did you how did your triathlon journey start and when was that Oh, golly, how did it start? That's a really good question. How, how long have you got? As a, as a child at school, um, I loved the swimming element. We were swimming in an outdoor pool and I was away at school. So I, I swam. I can remember doing cross country. I can remember doing the hurdles. I remember trying my hand at hockey, netball, tennis, etc. And then as I left home after my teenage years, I got into squash and then I became married, got married quite quite young. I was 29, I think. Yes, 20, uh, no, 23 when I got married, so quite young. 
And I was always wishing to be fit. So I carried on my squash. Then I had my first child and had a, a very straightforward pregnancy. It was very lucky. And in between child one and two, I set up, um, I thought, I enjoy my swimming so much. There's so many children out there who cannot swim. So I set up ducklings to dolphins in Reading. And that was for um, any age group from toddlers. I started to do all my coaching or teaching qualifications as it was then. So I did that in Bratnell. And then before I knew it, I had 10 teachers working with me, alongside me. And we had four, 400 children and adults coming through a week. And I just, it just blew out of all recognition. I couldn't probably handle the work as, um, as well as I would like to have done. But we managed with the 10. Yeah. And then from there, I carried on and expanded into other pools, etc. And then as the children became teenagers, I thought, I can't do this anymore. The children need me at home because they're at the age where if I'm not around, they might um, get up to no good. So that's when I decided to branch into other things. So I, I sold my share of the, of the business to someone else. So okay. that's how I became a swimming specialist. So that, that was your that was your swim coaching and obviously then you were picking up coaching skills and if you can coach kids, I think you can pretty much coach anyone. Um yes. when did when did you do your first triathlon? Can you can So you I remember? did my first triathlon in nineteen ninety four. Okay. Um, and I remember it, it was Bradfield College and I went along with my sit up and beg bike because I thought that was the only way I could manage and I loved it. Uh, my, but my cycling wasn't very good. And I remember someone saying to me, you're such a good swimmer. Why don't you take up running? And I said, oh, no, I haven't got time for that. So join Reading Road Runners as you do. And uh, in my late 40s, early 50s, I was flying. You know, five Ks, 19 minutes at the age of 49. Wow. Half marathons, you know, 135. And I, I represented Reading and then I went on to represent nationally. And I didn't realise. And then my father, as a doctor, said, you're doing too much running. Come on, mm -hmm. take up cycling. Your hips and knees are going to struggle. I went, okay, father. So I took up cycling. And then with that, I thought, I must get my coaching qualifications up to speed. And that's what I did. Um, took time. So I took my last qualifications, my level three, in 2010. 1994. So 30 years this year then? Yes, 30 years. But I've only been competing for GB. Um, since 2004, so 20, my 20th anniversary this year, Simon. Wow, have you got, um, what, what date was your race on? In, do you remember in 1994? I was just wondering whether you're going to be able to find a event that's on exactly the same day that you oh, can well, celebrate I don't think with. They run it, it was definitely, it was September, it was late year. Um, I can remember that and I can remember the swim, I can remember, I don't remember the cycling, but I remember the run. I probably remembered the good elements rather than the shoddy elements, I don't mm. know. Um, but yes, I will, you know, I have one, and I was going to go on to tell you this, I have one life goal is because I became a world champion in 2006 in a crathlon in Lausanne. And my, one of my challenges, my goals, is to become a world champion in a quathlon next year when I'm 70. Oh, so that 2006 in Lausanne, I was there that year. I think that's the year Tim Don won his world championship, wasn't it? Correct. Yes, it was. Yeah. Yes. So we, yeah. I can remember witnessing it and my um, Ted, my other half, passing him the... Um, the flag to run in with. So, yes, it was a really exciting year. I had a flying I... swim and a flying run. But it was also the year, I think, that it was non-wetsuit. 
Was it? Yes. Yeah, yes, it was very, it was. I think it was very it was hot. A and I, crathlon. It's <laughs> run, got, swim, no wetsuit. I've got a feeling that Will Clark might have won the world. Yes. Junior. He was it under 23 or juniors? Yes, correct. Um, juniors. Was juniors. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We, Jack, um, Jack and I were running talent ID programs then, and Steve Lumley yes. was also doing that and steve had a place steve has a or had a, a place out in morzine so we went to stay in morzine and then we went over in switzerland to lausanne and watched watched the race for the day it was so um, exciting so I, yeah i never I, thought i could do it yeah um, so yes i did it and it, it has to be repeated uh, i think that's the note i would go out on am i running at the moment no i'm not <laughs> so <laughs> so a quathlon then so that's not aquabike a quathlon is swim and run Yes. Yeah. So why why aquathlon? Why not triathlon at the age of 70? Uh, that's a really good question. I've had a very unhappy knee and I have to deal with what I know I can deal with training-wise. So when the knee surgeon said to me, you're going to have to have a knee replacement, I went, no, I'm not. He said it will change your life and you will not be able to coach to the standard that you're coaching at the moment. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, I'm going to protect my knee. I'm going to give up my running. So I then concentrated on acrobike and being successful, very successful with acrobikes. But then I thought with all the strength work I've been doing the last five years, I am determined to get back running. So what do I do? I do my acro jogging. I do my vertical kicking. I do a lot of strength work. And I think my swimming is still up there. Mm-hmm. That If I can get a couple of minutes on the swim, it's a couple of minutes I can perhaps lose on the run. And you know, this is one thing that I always chat about with the older athletes is I, I know that we're all still competitive and we all still um, compare ourselves to the, to maybe what we were like when we were younger and everything. But as you get past a certain age, it's definitely a last person standing thing as well, isn't it? So, it is. uh, you know, and there'll be more people in the 70 to 74 age group racing now than there would have been 10 years ago. There probably right. wouldn't have been any. And, no, that's very um, true. But I bet that there won't be many people in that race that you're doing that are standing on the start line that haven't had to deal with some sort of um, biomechanical challenge, mostly knees or hips, and are probably just on borrowed time and thinking, I'll just do one more race. There'll be the odd one or two that are, you know, bionic. Um. But it's almost like who's who who's the healthiest on the start line, isn't it? Stand up the longest. But I think the other thing, the thing, the one thing that has affected uh, me personally as an athlete as a, and as a coach is the cold. Mm-hmm. So the last three years, I had really struggled with managing the cold. The fact that we now, in you know, sixty plus, we have an extra two degrees before we have to remove our wetsuits has helped. But the cold, um, when I'm coaching, it, it limits me um, considerably. I, you know, I wear a thermal, I wear base layer, I wear neoprene, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I'm determined to do one more year of coaching because that's my forte, um, mm-hmm. open water. I love helping people who have no confidence, who have fear of water. And there's so many p- older people mm-hmm. out there who just require that nurturing, and that's I think that is my my one big um, forte. Everyone remembers me for my swimming coaching. That's not for my triathlon. But no, I have got people to the start line of world champs. So I'm I'm just delighted that I can still do what I do, um, but I have to protect myself. Yeah. 
um, I mean, that's something we can come back to actually the, the sort of dealing with the cold as you get older. Um, I'm just thinking about you saying that the measures that you've taken with your training to protect your knee, aqua jogging, deep water, um, not sorry, aqua jogging, mm-hmm. um, vertical kicking. Yes. Um, probably a little bit more cycling, but also strength training. And I'd really like to dig into the strength training thing because it's a passion of mine and it's something I've sort of like, I'll encourage people till I'm blue in the face to do more of. And I feel like it's taken me 30 years, but I feel like the tide's turned a little bit, but it's still not strong enough. Um, What other changes have you made to your training as you've got older that allow you to deal with the consequences of aging, that the, the inevitable consequences of aging and sort of try and mitigate those to some, some Very extent. Good point. I probably, I train less. I don't mm-hmm. train to my maximum. I'm very much, you know, the, as we should be doing polarized training and using that as my, my base. And then obviously do my strength work on with hill reps, which I will introduce um, I'll probably give myself a 10-week program to get to a qualifier. The other thing is stretching, which um, so few of us do. And unless you're like me, where I put on a stretch and flexibility class every week um, and encourage my athletes to stretch and warm up and cool down properly, you know, that they're they're not just going straight into a session because I know inevitably they're going to end up with an injury. Mm-hmm. So the strength and conditioning for me, it just fell into place with COVID because I thought, well, how can I help my bespoke athletes? Um, mm-hmm. What's I going to do? And being coming from personal fitness training as well, I thought I'm going to set up my Zoom classes, and they're still going. You know, four years wow. in March, I have had the benefit of six hours of S and C every week for me. Mm-hmm. It's not just for everyone else, and I go, this is how it is. You know, I'm so strong. And I can do anything in the garden. You know, it's not just your trampoline sports as we mature. It's can you reach in a cupboard to get something down? Can you go up a ladder to get a light bulb out of it? And I think there's nothing I will not test myself to do. I'm sensible, yes, but it's the strength work that has made me the person I am now. And that's what I advocate to my athletes. Please, please, twice a week, it's in your program. Come to my classes Mm. and we do it together. And so I then focus my classes towards who I have in front of me. Um, I mean, like this morning, we I said, you know, only had a few, many people are away skiing and I always hesitate, you know, please don't go skiing if you've got qualifiers coming up in May, but they do. So I then said, okay, what, should we, what would you like us to do? And they said, legs and core. I said, great, because that's what I could be doing with this morning. And then we did some stretching at the end just to counterbalance the 50 minutes. Yeah, well, so you you and I have talked about this before. You know I like going skiing now. And I didn't discover skiing and until, you know, what 2018. So I was already 54 then. So probably a bit late to get started. And I was, I'd never even done it when I was young. So I was a complete beginner. But I love it now. Um, yes. But I do recognize that uh, it, it only takes one doesn't even have to be a bad bad accident but you know there's a lot of idiots on the slopes and quite a few of my friends have been taken out by other people in the last couple of years fortunately not to any um any with any you know even minimal damage but still um often it's not your recklessness or um no no um, but also with cycling accidents you know inevitably you're the one who's staying safe you know towards the verge or dismissing the and the drains and then someone comes up behind you or comes on the inside and you go 
you know, etiquette, you know, but, and that's as a coach, that's what we should be <laughs> coaching, the, the cycling etiquette as well as the technical side. This is what you can do. This is what mm. you can't do. And I, I do find when I'm racing that I have to be careful of the people pro- probably younger than myself who are cycling recklessly. Um, swimming, I can hold my own. You know, if, if someone beats me on the back, mm. I can mm. I can get ahead of them generally. Yeah, that's yeah that that's that's interesting isn't it? i mean because i would never want somebody to hold back from doing something and think about what might happen but equally i, I would always encourage them look you know i i love descending down an alpine pass in the summer on my road bike you know at a high speed um but i've come off my bike and broken my collarbone and, and my ribs and i know the consequences are coming off at high speed as well but i also know that as i get older that recovery process takes quite a bit longer and so you then you do tend to lose your fitness um a little bit more and so i think definitely myself i've i've eased back because not because i think oh what happens if i crash because i don't think you ever want to go into anything thinking about that because you should just think about the process but i'm always aware of what might happen and want to yes i, mean, I think um when once you've had an accident you you lose your confidence and then it, probably requires the help of a, a coach mm. who's got the patience and the know-how to get you back on your bike, get you back mm-hmm. into cleats. That's always the thing, isn't it? Mm. Can you cycle as a proper cyclist and, and gain the advantages of being in cleats? Mm. Um, swimming, someone could have a, a panic attack in the water and that's where you know I really come in and we just go right back to basics and go, mm-hmm. it's going to be your breathing that's caused that panic attack. Let's just take it slowly and build it back up gradually. So I think as a more mature coach, you have that understanding as an athlete of how people react um, and how you have coped with it in the past. And I think that's why I get the, the athletes I do, I'm sure, because I have that, that understanding, not only being a coach, but also having put it into practice over many, many years and running, you know, being on the start line of a, a running race, you know, where do you position yourself? Where do you put yourself in the pack? In the swimming, you know, if you're not so confident, do you go right to the back? Well, no, rather you didn't go to the back, you know, go to the side. Um, mm-hmm. Those things that you can then prove in your in your own um, athletic career. Which, uh, With your training, um, you said you um, follow up a, a polarised approach. Do you do a lot of high-intensity work? No. No, I don't. Um, purely because it just fatigues me. The problem, if I'm honest, the problem as a coach I have is Mondays and Thursdays, I do three hours continuous S&C early in the morning. I'm quite tired on those days. Mm. So my intensity work will always be two days after I've done that serious back-to-back work. And that suits me. You know, I'd rather be doing that than doing S&C every day because I wish to get out of my bike, wish to get to the pool. So I will, um, my intensity work actually comes quite often from skipping. I'm a real, I'm a skipping fanatic. I've just had a challenge in December with with athletes to raise money for charity. So we had 100 skips a day, but I can do 200. And that is fantastic. You know, obviously it's plyometrics, but it's fantastic flexibility. Um, And your heart rate goes way up, you know, if you do four times 50 or, I don't know, three times 100. Mm-hmm. Um, but then on the bike, yes, I'll do my my heel reps. Um, and I enjoy being out on the bike, but including my intensity when I'm out on the bike. I'm not very good at being 
indoors. Um, I am an outdoor girl, very much so. I'm a gutsy girl. I think uh, the next point probably crosses over into your coaching as well. But you know, I, I like I like the idea of hit training. I think that you know, for folks like us who've been doing endurance sports for triathlon for thirty years, we've got a pretty good we've got a pretty good engine. Mm-hmm. Um, but we need to tickle those fast switch fibers, which are perhaps dwindling away, and remind them that they've got work to do. But if you again going back to what's traditional research, you'll see um, you look for intervals for cyclists or intervals for runners and they'll say four times one mile right? <laughs> which, which even if you're running at five or six minutes per mile that's a long repetition <laughs> four four times four minutes at functional threshold that's a that's an awful lot of pain <laughs> um with a four minute recovery and then do it again right four times so 16 minutes I've I've experienced this now and I'm sure that that will get worse that, that those repetitions now leave me so full of lactic acid and so tired afterwards that it will be a you know I couldn't possibly do another interval session in the week no. in in you know in another sport never mind again in in running or cycling whereas the the short hit stuff the 30 oh, seconds yes. um at, at at a VO2 max power with perhaps a longer than the, a longer recovery in the research suggests mm-hmm. actually those short hit work workouts do. Uh, do you find that with with your with your athletes that you work? Yes, with? I do. One session I set, which they seem to like. Um, it's a one k, so it's an eight hundred steady um, mm-hmm. running. This is, mm-hmm. and then a two hundred at um, at a, a really fast pace, mm-hmm. and then come back to their eight hundred steady, and then build that up, and they go. Oh, this is so manageable. And I go, well, that's great, but we'll then increase the number of reps or I'll decrease the steady and increase the um, the the faster aspect at the end. And I find that works because they feel confident enough that they can manage it but sustain it. There's nothing worse than giving them a session that they go, Joe, I haven't done this. I can't do it. And I go, in which case, that's my mistake. If you cannot do it, then yeah. I have to rejig my session. And that's... That shouldn't be the case. I should be setting the session according to what I feel you can do. Um, let, let, let's go back to your life and your lifestyle. Yes. Um, so you've got your training. You're still training regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, what changes have you made to the peripheral parts of your training and your lifestyle, the things that support it? You know, Do you try and get more sleep? Um, do, you, do you eat differently to when you were younger? That's really two really good questions, Simon. As a um, female, uh, the age I am, I'm very conscious of eating more protein. Okay, and good. Um, and I'm not a, a vegetarian, but my body will tell me when it requires red meat. And I have to, I love having a steak or a lamb shank. And the difference it makes the day after and the following day, I feel uh, yeah. that. So yeah. I know that my body is, is requiring more protein. I'm very much a, a grazer, so I and I'm conscious about what I eat and drink. I try and drink plenty of water, mix it, etc., with lime and lemon and mint. And then sleep. You're talking to a sleep queen. I have to have nine hours minimum a night. That's mm-hmm. because I'm up early. But also I'm just one of those who's if I'm not training, I'm not coaching, I'm in my garden. Mm-hmm. I can do four or five hours gardening and then wonder why I'm tired. It's because, A, I've got the capacity and I've got the strength but and then fatigue. So I sleep 
And also I'll have a nap in the day. So on Monday and a Thursday, quite often I'll just retire to bed for an hour um, so I can cope. Um, so. so I get asked a lot of questions and, and tell me if I'm stepping over the line here. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe you can give me your, if you want to tell me about your own um, history, that's fine. Maybe or if not, then maybe you can talk about as a coach. A lot of females that are, around the sort of late 40s, early 50s are worried about the menopause, worried about the effects of menopause on on gaining weight, on energy levels, on how it affects their sleep, and then obviously the knock-on effects for competition. Um, can you speak about your experiences if if you're able? And if not, then maybe how you deal with this as a coach? Really, another really good question, which I wasn't expecting, but I will be honest. Um, as, a, as a female, uh, and I probably suffered from amenorrhea when I was younger. So my periods mm-hmm. were very erratic, perhaps once every six months, once every 18 months. My children came about as a result of fertility, both of them. So being a twin myself, I ran the risk of probably having two or three, but I didn't. I have I have two sons, very healthy. And then I never knew when I was going through the menopause other than when um, I became irrational, grumpy. So I went for HRT when I came off um, the pill, etc. And it was the answer to everything. And then only two years ago, I thought, I've been on this for too long, more risk of breast cancer. I better take myself off. So the, the GP very kindly weaned me off. And I became the grumpy individual again. Um, irrational but no energy and I thought this isn't working for me so she what the GP said well provided your blood pressure is good which it is it's always where it should be she said um I'll let you go back on HRT but you're going to have to have patches and not take it orally so that's where I am I'm back with patches which are a nuisance as a swimmer to say because they either go under your swim line or on your hip and they itch and I don't like that, but I put up with it. If I have to stay on for it for another 10 years, I will. So that's my experience. Athletes who come to me, they're all different, aren't they, from their menstrual cycle um, and some of them are going through it. And I, I listen to them and think, well, this shouldn't stop your training, but we'll limit it. You know, if you're feeling you've got a bad day, yeah. it's just Go off for a gentle walk rather than go for a swim session if you're mm-hmm. if you're still finding it difficult and you've got no energy. And that's mm-hmm. how I've dealt with it. But um, I'm one of those whose periods never interrupted her coaching or her swimming. Mm-hmm. Which, um, I'm very <laughs> I can talk from the heart there. <laughs> I appreciate your candidness there. I didn't expect you to go in so much detail. So thank you for that. And um but there might be someone out there with the same. Well, th- that's right. And and again. The research tells us only one thing, doesn't it? It is it is very individual. And I guess as a coach, you just learn as you go along. And um, good coaches just ask questions of people and t- try to help each person find their own solution rather than saying, well, this is what the evidence says, so you should yes. do this. Well, I've been, I've been there, come off it, and then I had to go back on it. Mm-hmm. Um, does it affect me? Obviously, the... The consequences of breast cancer, but I have there's no cancer in my well, there is actually now in my family, but not breast cancer. So But um, again, it's it's um you know, there's there's a risk, but then you weigh up the risks where every time you go out and ride your bike, don't you? Or every time you go swimming in cold water, we take a risk and we weigh that up and we think, well, okay, on balance, 
you know, I'll take this decision. I think also it helps if you've got a GP you can speak to who um, yes. is, op- is open-minded and willing to listen to the, um, you know, speaks with somebody who has a bit of an understanding and you can have a discussion rather than them saying, this is how we do it and this is what you're going to do. And I think if you're a healthy individual yourself, there's going to be very few limitations to mm-hmm. what you would like them to prescribe versus what you think you should be prescribed. And I just, you know, I'll take myself off it. Yes, of course I will, um, but not for the moment. I just want that energy for my work, for my training, and for mm-hmm. my family. I have four grand munchkins ranging 18 months to eight years. I cycle right. with them. I swim with them. I have a scooter, bluebell. I, I, I do all those things that, as a mum, you would like to do. That The children are allowed to come swimming with me on their own. That's just wonderful, isn't it, to have them to yourself. I don't take all four. I take the babies on their own, and then the older ones can come with me. But um, Wow, I bet, I bet you're such an inspiration to them as well. Uh, well, I try to be. I just said to the eight-year-old, he's wanting to give up his swimming, and I went, nope, until you can beat Grand Joe over 25 <laughs> metres, not giving up your swimming. <laughs> That's the incentive for me. <laughs> well, I guess, you know, talking about your grandchildren, um, they're, they're still young enough and they all play on the floor at Christmas with their presents and when they That's come right. round. Um, so I guess if you want to go and play with them, that all that mobility and strength oh, work comes in. because sit on my back and, and I can carry two of them and I can throw them, you know, <laughs> do wheelbarrows with them and have races and balance. I love all of that. I love mountain biking with them. Okay, who's going to get up this hill the quickest? And, of course, the nine-year-old coming up for nine does which you know it's great so you should but the fact I can do something like that with them just mm. fills me with so much joy it's worth being healthy isn't it <laughs> and age. you know you're not the first person I've had a conversation with who said my goal is to uh, one chap said I want to go surfing with my grandkids you know so think about all the things that you need to do when you're surfing and that give you an idea about how you need to shape your life in order to be able to have that another another chap said I I just like being able to play with my grandkids out in the garden and kick the football around or well, my youngest got a train set and you know I like to be able to sit on the floor with him and play that but I still I still don't want to be in an embarrassing position of not being able to get up again afterwards well, <laughs> it does take in fact now I say to them you're going to have to help Grand Joe up um, and I'm just introducing them to skipping well if Grand Joe can do this this is a good thing for you it's just slightly difficult and did you not learn skipping did you not skip as a kid oh yeah yeah, I yes. skip. I, I when I'm um, when I'm about running again, uh, I skip. I think that gentle plyometrics is really good. And um, but the, when I've spoken to the physios, they're um, they're all in agreement that skipping is probably a good thing. It's a good hand-eye coordination as well. Yes. And do you advocate that to your athletes as well? I do. Uh, how many of them are actually doing it on a regular basis <laughs> is a different thing. But I I do I do share with them the benefits of skipping for improve running technique and warming up and everything else yeah yes so I think uh, it's not and also indoor rowers I don't have an indoor rower but it's just nice to change that warm-up for them to give them variety um, rather than doing the statutory dynamic and, and static well one of the things you mentioned is about how many, how much time you spend out in your garden I I've noticed when I've spoken to folks who are um, ultra runners or fell runners that a lot of those folks have 
they don't necessarily do what we call traditional strength training, but they also don't have what we call traditional office jobs. So they, they're standing up a lot. They're using the hands, they're using the body. So not sitting down sort of in a sedentary occupation. So they're quite robust individuals. And I think that variety of, A, the variety of um, sports that you did when you were young and at school, you know, mm. playing team sports, plus all of these experiences that you sort of expose yourself to um, now um, give you a much more rounded level of conditioning that I, I, I sometimes think we overlook in triathlon. We think, oh, I need to be swimming, I need to be biking, I need to be running. So gardening, I can't do that because that'll give me a bad back and I can't I can't go on the indoor rower because that's not that. But all of these things um, actually help you to keep mm. going at 16 well, at, at our tender age. But I think if you're a triathlete and you're doing your S&C, that you're going to have a strong back. You know, I don't put myself, I don't lift things that are, are too heavy for me. Mm. But I'll certainly give it a go. But you know what you're capable of doing because you know mm-hmm. your own body, don't you, if you've been doing all those things. You know, how often would you stop doing anything that you wanted to do? But you're not limited by anything, are you, yourself? So you can do anything you wish mm. you within reason. Um, uh, yes, I'd like to think so. And I'm still willing to try new things. Yes. You know, um, I'm perhaps not as reckless at doing them as I might have been when I was younger. I hope you're enjoying the show so far and learning a lot. If you aren't already a regular listener, I hope you feel you might come back. Please make sure to hit the subscribe button so you know whenever a new episode arrives. I publish these twice a week, ad-free, and with the mission of improving the health and performance of endurance athletes around the world. And to help me, I'd love it if you could share the episode with one person you think could benefit. If you have a couple more minutes, perhaps you could leave me a review on your chosen platform once you've finished listening to this episode. Okay, let's get back to the show. But in the off-season, what do you do? You know, what do you advocate to your athletes? What I advocate is go and do something different. Mm -hmm. Go do something new. Um, Just have have a total change. And they go, there's nothing I want to do. And I go, there must be. You know, Mm. boxing. um, Yeah. You're not a walker. I encourage walking as within my program for my athletes, they all have a walking session and they mm-hmm. go, it's much tougher than I thought it would be. And I go, there you go. <laughs> yeah. It, we've, we've been out walking with some, some athletes in our group, you know, to do things around the, the, like the three peaks or one of them. And they're amazed about how tired their legs feel and how things that are aching that they shouldn't do, you know, like the backs of their knees from all the coming downhill, the hips, um, and when I've spoken to folks who either coach or do these ultra long distance races, they're, they're always saying, look, it's not really a run for the majority of people. It's not ultra running, it's speed hiking. And you, you actually need running doesn't train you to walk fast. You need yeah. to actually go out and walk fast. But I think um, there was a, the Japanese marathon team used to, as part of their training, would have a hike up a mountain. The coach would wait at the top and they would hike for three hours uphill. So imagine all the strength training that you get when every step's yes. uphill yes. at a brisk pace and at altitude. That's an amazing workout. It is. It's the coming down that's the hardest part, though. I think they got the gondola down. The coach oh, would go up in the say, gondola and then, and, then they'd all, <laughs> and then they would all come down in the gondola. But still... I mean, the, the, even the downhill stuff has its benefits, doesn't it, in terms yes. of um, eccentric contractions and just balance and stability. I, I, um, I'm not my, – my knees really do let me know that they're not happy about coming downhill. But it's – I think for us as more mature coaches, 
we had that um, that benefit of being able to say, well, this is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Give it a go. And if it doesn't work for you, we can always try something else. So in the off-season, you're skiing, aren't you? In the off-season, I'm doing more in my garden. The yep. joy of gardening for me is is the same as my coaching. I, I have a, a, a chap in his late 60s that I'm working with, and he spends a bit of time in Croatia, um, which is where his wife's from. And he's always telling me, oh, I can't do any strength training while I'm out there because I've got all this gardening to do. We've got to chop down the trees in the garden. I've got to chop, I've got to chop firewood. And, you know, I've got to get the wheelbarrow and get all this stuff around the garden and move it from here to there. So by the time I've finished, it's like a four-hour strength session. <laughs> and I, I, I do think if we look back to, you know, the early 1900s or, you know, that, that Victorian era, that era, there weren't any such thing as gymnasiums that people could probably access. There were probably a small group of people that used to get into strength and physical culture, but for the majority of people, they had manual jobs. They would walk to work for a living. So they, yes. they kept reasonably fit. They didn't need to run. Um, and they would tend their allotments or work in, work in a manual job. And so they were doing a lot of shifting, a lot of lifting and carrying and bending. And that is like a workout all day. So you don't need to go to the gym. Now Now we have sedentary jobs. We need to replace that with some sort of manufactured exercise like lifting weights. Um, yes, but, do. you know, if you're, if you're in the garden for three or four hours, that is like a prolonged strength workout, isn't it? And yes. you get the benefit of being out in the fresh air and daylight and nature. Um, and twisting, you know, how often do we twist in the garden? Uh, it's the twisting action, I think, and also going up ladders for calf um, strength. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But I'll give anything a go. Nothing's beaten me yet, but I'm sure over the next couple of years, my balance is good because I emphasize that every week in, in S&C. So I, I think provided we're doing it, we can still manage most of the, the things that we test ourselves on. Um, there's no nothing I wish to pursue that's new. I love looking after dogs because I don't have a dog of my own. Mm-hmm. So they... They're my stress reliever. You know, you're asking me about stress. I don't know how you release your stress. How do you release your stress? I like to read. I probably don't read as much as I should. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I like to. I like to go for a walk. Beth and I like to go for a walk. You know, it's just it's it's not a long walk and it's not a strenuous walk. We just walk around through the woods and around the neighbourhood yes. and just. But we walk That's slowly nice. and um, we can walk right outside our house is the towpaths for the canal so we can walk along there and um you well, know so at the moment can you with all the um oh yeah yeah yep yes oh, yeah, okay. the to- yeah the towpaths fine yeah, the, water. the canal doesn't get flooded and they've been doing a lot of flood flood alleviation works near uh, us so okay. um so mm-hmm. yeah um the, the canals managed water load really so that that's okay and we can always walk along by there and then that gives us easy access into the woods and um among the nature um i like gardening i i i don't really have a big garden but i do all my neighbors grass in the summers and tend the gardens um so uh it, we've got a row of terraced houses with the front garden so i just get everybody's done while i'm while i'm out there but it's very it's very cathartic uh tidying up a garden isn't it? and then looking yes. at it afterwards it's, it's really really satisfying i think um, um, but also it's the, the the bird life you always have a robin on your on your fork and at the moment i have a we have a pheasant that comes and visits us every day <laughs> yeah and um, ted's nicknamed the pheasant phyllis so phyllis comes and i look for phyllis every morning and i think well if i go outside you know i'm looking at the stars at mm. night time not that phyllis is out then 
But I just think I'm lucky to be able to live where I can have a pheasant just popping by. <laughs> well, we we have um, parrots. There's a community of about 40 parrots, and they don't have, when they get in a tree together, um, if there's half a dozen and they don't half squawk and make a racket, but we've got some bird feeders out, some to my right now in the back garden, some in the front, and the the parrots will come and feed that's the, the bird feeders. Well, no, they're, they're, I thought they were parakeets, but we've looked and they are parrots. They're not. Oh. They're not huge, great big parrots, but they are parrots. They're green. I'll, I'll maybe send you a photograph of them. But yes, we, no, um, to see those. But, but then we get we get a lot of bird life. So we get the pigeons and we get the um, uh, the crow, the rooks, jackdaws, and, and jackdaws, and the magpies, and then the the little birds. And what's really interesting is to watch the hierarchy. The pigeons will let the parrots do their thing because if they don't, they get pecked. Then yes. the crows, then the, then the jackdaws come in and they frighten everybody off. Then the little birds try and get in when they are um, when the when there's a space. Um, and it's really interesting to watch how they all interact. Uh, and then we've got three squirrels that come and get. We've oh, got no. little, we've got a little table out the back with an umbrella, and the squirrels sit under there and munch the peanuts. And it's fun watching them playing around in the garden. That's on wheels, I call them. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm well, on the squirrels because um, they take the eggs. But having said that, it's all part of um, nature on your doorstep, isn't it? And I it, think it, yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you're a, a runner, you're going to take that on board anyway I always look out for the beautiful signage um, and I look for the plants too so the joy I get in relaxation from stress reliever from the gardening but colours mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. I'm just one of those I'm, I wear bright I am bright <laughs> well don't don't you think it's such a shame when folks run run through the woods with their headphones on um, yes. cancelling out all of the noises all of they the get noises. and the birds yeah yes. um, but also, what you know, not looking around them, or okay, you're not as females, we shouldn't be running with headphones anyway, should we? Which I try and encourage my athletes not to do. But the um, yes, just and the smells in you know, different times of the year. So I, mm-hmm. I take all of that on board, and I probably overload to my athletes. But actually, I, I try and encourage them to take in the, the beauty of nature because mm-hmm. it's not just about the healthy lifestyle. It's uh, um, enjoying the countryside, so they understand how I tick now. Mostly. Well, and uh, it's been a conversation with with a few podcast guests about what's called forest bathing, about being in nature and and immersing yourself in it and absorbing all of that, um, all of those experiences that you've just mentioned there. Um, my brother in law actually takes groups of people out to do forest bathing, and and when he takes them, they might cover a kilometer in an hour. So they're walking very slowly and noticing the moss on the tree Mm. and the mushrooms and just, you know, how the leaves have landed in different places, depending on the wind and the breeze and the sunshine. And, um, and he said, you know, he doesn't allow them to take phones with them. They can take a camera, but they're not allowed to take phones or they have to have them turned off. He doesn't want anything disturbing the solitude and the, and the, and the silence. And, they walk around the forest mindfully looking at things. And, you know, he said it's really challenging when you get some runners come on and they go, right, how far are we going? Just a kilometre. Is that all? He said it's not a training session. It's it's a different experience. Um, yeah. So um, there's an awful lot of good research about the benefits of being out in nature, isn't there? And also, um, you probably find this too, with more mature athletes, as, um, especially females, technology frightens them. Yeah. So when you're working with a new athlete, you really have to drip feed training peaks and mm-hmm. are you measuring your heart rate, et cetera. 
And then many a time I'll go once a month, okay, no training tools whatsoever. You know, you're going to run on feel, you're going to swim on feel, and you're going to cycle without your Garmin telling you, you know, what wattage and power output is. And they go, oh, I can't do that. And I go, just try it. It's lovely. You know, what happens if you race and then suddenly your, your watch malfunctions? You're going to be stumped. So try it. And they go, gosh, it's much easier. I'm far more relaxed. There you go. You probably actually did a better session because you weren't looking at your watch the whole mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Um, and you must come across this. You know, how often do they malfunction or they haven't charged the, the Garmin? Well, no, you're absolutely right. I've got countless um, examples of that like you probably haven't. In fact, I... I had a podcast with Dan Plews the other day. Yes. Dan's, a, Dan's one of the you know, top triathlon coaches around. He's a super knowledgeable guy about science and technology and relating to sports performance. But we were talking about Stephen Siler's um, analogy of what he, what he calls the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The Father's the power, the Son is the heart rate, and the Holy Ghost is RPE. And you have to – those three can't exist without each other. You know, you have to be when you've got power there, you have to be aware of what your breathing's like and how hard it feels. And sometimes the power you're putting out doesn't reflect how you feel because it might be super hot or you might be dehydrated or tired. And sometimes you're trying to get your heart rate up because your coach has prescribed it, but you just can't because you've done a hard session the day before and you haven't recovered. Um, So and but if you don't have that innate understanding of how things feel, yes, then you just then when those examples of technology failing happen, you sort of, a bit, you're all at sea, aren't you? You're like, you're like out on a boat with no means of navigation. Correct. Yes. And how often do you have, which I find with mature athletes, they're frightened about pushing themselves out of their comfort zone and you're going, mm-hmm. this is going to hurt, you know, it will be uncomfortable, but don't worry, you will recover. Mm-hmm. But we have to be able to push yourselves to be able to become fitter and stronger mm-hmm. and they go but I don't like it well there are lots of things we don't like but if you're working with me this is what we're going to have to do <laughs> um, which is true isn't it and then they go oh but my heart rate is where everyone's heart rate you know maximum is different don't worry about it tell you what let's just take off your watch and we'll do it without and they go this is a totally different session I go there you go but I'll do it with them you know if it's a run session I'll do the 30 seconds on 30 seconds off but you'll get a much better outcome from that can you go by your cheeks you know in the water can you go by how your cheeks yeah yeah warm cheeks um i'm breathing hard swimming is quite different isn't it to your running and your cycling obviously with the with heart rate um so it's um a case of suck it and see but yes i think with mature athletes they're just a little bit reserved uh, until you actually say well come on we can do this but do it together you're not on your own um and we will sprint up the hill just once <laughs> a question for you joe um when you're working with your older athletes do you find that there's you know males or females are more inclined to accept that they're getting older and make changes uh, is that do you notice that there's a, a pronounced difference between those genders yes and you probably won't like what i'm going to well say. i think i probably I'm, I'm anticipating what you might say because i'm thinking about my own experiences from coaching i think if I'm honest, men think they can do more, um, more than what you've prescribed, and then mm-hmm. wonder why they cannot train the following day, even though you mm-hmm. might have set them an hour and a half, two hours on the bike, they've gone off and done a four hour, and I'm going, okay, so what was the purpose of that? You know, yeah. don't, don't tell them off, no point. What was the purpose of that? 
Um, and I think when it comes to just that testosterone, they think that they can carry on longer mm. um, and stay as fit. It doesn't happen that way. They have got to reduce their volume and intensity load to be able to get the maximum from their from their training. So I think men are different in that way, whereas women tend to be a little bit more apprehensive about stepping up um, their their volume and their intensity. That that is what I've noticed. And women, their technical knowledge is. It's not as good as, as guys. It never will be, you know, when it comes to the bike and the technical aspects of um, looking at a bike and knowing what's wrong with it. Men generally are great. But they, they will learn from women. But I find that's where if I've got a group, I say to the men, okay, so help us all. Help us girls. Give us your tips because we can all learn from that. Um, the cold, I think, affects women, although older men feel the cold more. So I'm very conscious of that. How do we? How do we cope with the cold sessions? What do we wear? What, what different things can we do? Um, mm, yeah. I think, I think, is that what you were going to say? Would you agree that men will, will tend to go off? Yeah. You know, I, I, no, ab- absolutely. I've suggested to several athletes I work with who are over 60, you know, have, have you thought about changing your training? So instead of doing two weeks of build and one week of recovery, maybe we could have a build week and a recovery week, a build week and a recovery week. Yes. And that, that way you can, you know, when we get, when we look back in six months time, you've been able to string together six months of training instead of having to have, having to have a pause every now and again, because you've just, you've just extended yourself too much. No, 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 I don't need that. I'll just keep on with the two build and one. Okay. Right. All right. Well, let's monitor it because I wonder how much recovery you're getting. Yes. There, And I wonder whether the short term, ego boost of still doing the training you did when you were in your 50s is going to be outweighed by the the longer term you know misses of training because you just you're just too tired yes and, and then i might intercept and go okay you're going to have two consecutive rest days but i do mm-hmm. need rest days um if i see that they've done more of a volume over the weekend yep I'm not going to get the training benefit um, no. if you carry on so let's take two rest days. Oh, but I'm not used to two rest days. Well, let's give it a go. And you mm. might feel, A, your sleep pattern, because I look at their metrics, and if their sleep is under five hours, I know there's something amiss, and that's going to have a knock-on effect on their training. And then I go, in which case you're going to have a whole resting week because your your, your sleep pattern's been ignored or not ignored, being denied. Mm. Your nutrition probably not where it should be. Let's just have a week of getting you back in check. Um, what you know, you've been working with um, athletes over fifty for uh, what fourteen years now. Yes. Um, so that's an awful lot of experience you've amassed. What are the significant things that you've learned about working with older athletes during that time? I mean, you've covered a few about the cold and the reluctance of males to admit they're getting old and then do something about it. But are there any other things that you've really noticed that stand out? I think injury prevention is one big thing. Yeah. I think. When it comes to the disciplines, I think people, the more mature people aren't prepared to put the effort into to swimming technique. So they'll thrash their way through a 2K, 3K and want to do that twice a week, whereas actually the best thing they could do is shorten the time in the swimming pool and increase the drills. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, and I don't know if you found this, you know, the fact I started my, my career with swimming, qualifications, 41 years, whatever, 
is that I'd say 70% of my bespoke work is swimming. Yeah. Um, so I'm very hot on technique um, and I like to analyze their stroke, but also give them the confidence that the technique will help their endurance mm-hmm. and the volume that they want to integrate. Um, so that's why I run the swim and run camps that we do in Lanzarote in March, etc., to really work on preparing them for the open water season coming up, but also to analyze stroke um, mm-hmm. technique. Mm-hmm. And you can give them a program with the drills and ascertain what sort of swimmer they are. But unless you actually see them in front of you, it's very difficult, isn't it? Are they over-rotating? Are they missing the feel of the water, the catch? Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about mobility and stretching. And I, I feel like we know that as you get older, the joints tighten up, you have less range of motion. So if you just want to have good movement skills as a human being, you need to address that. Yes. Um that's going to carry over into the pool. You, mm-hmm. you, your arms aren't going to straighten much, so you're not going to have as much reach. Mm-hmm. Your back's going to be a little tighter. Your hips are going to be a little tighter, so you're just creating more drag in the pool. Um, and as I think I've alluded to on some podcasts with swim coaches, you know, you can get faster two ways in the pool. One is by training harder. Well, as we've discussed, perhaps you don't have the capacity to do that when you get older. Or you can reduce the drag. Yeah. So what's the easiest thing on the body, particularly an older body? It's not to train harder, it's to reduce the drag. And there are multiple benefits to be had from that, aren't there? Correct. And also swimming is such a, a great release from intense training on the bike or, or running. I can mm-hmm. use the water to stretch. I can use the water mm-hmm. to de-stress. Um, and what I will do is advocate perhaps a swimming week where I have been swimming half an hour every day, really to reinforce the feel mm-hmm. of the water. For someone who's who's apprehensive, and I think if if you have a poor swim in a triathlon, it just it just puts you back in your mental approach to the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I try and encourage them to get their swimming stronger, lose a little bit on the bike, and then make up for it um, on the run. Too many people get exhausted from the swim, don't they? Have you, you mentioned that you know you've been forced to. Um, consider you, how much running you do because of your knees. Um, do you take a proactive approach with your older athletes and um, encourage them to do a little bit less running for this very thing? Um, I avoid them running on consecutive days. Okay. I've always done that. Um, unless they have a race where they, you know, they're doing a, a warm-up before the race. So there's no running consecutive days. And I will, I will – not get frustrated if, if it's not set why have they done it oh the sun was shining I just wanted to get out well that's fine but it's going to affect the following day if you've got hill reps on the bike for example mm-hmm. what they need mm-hmm. to do those so the I think the advice I give then is if you're feeling very stiff or very tired avoid running because you're going to get more injured so mm-hmm. text me and I'll adjust the session I might ask you to do a swim set instead um so I work very closely with the athlete to understand how they're feeling. And you probably find um, the older, the more mature the athlete, there are other factors in their lives that get in their way. Bereavement, you know, becoming widowed, children becoming unwell, grandchildren, etc. all those obstacles. So I then taper their training to fit in with what suits them best. Mm. Because I'd rather they were training and not and doing something than nothing sure. at all. 
Sure. Um, and I have one athlete at the moment whose mum is dying. And she said, she emailed, she just said, I think I'm going to have to stall the training whilst she's dying. And I said, I actually think the training is going to help you. Let me just give you five sessions over the week, yeah. four sessions over the week. Factor them in when you can. And she said, what a difference. I said, you know, you don't need to give up your training. Actually, your training is going to help you get through this really difficult stage mm. of life. Mm-hmm. And it has, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So I have a few instances, all people going through divorce where they just want to hammer everything. Well, I, the other thing there as well is retirement. That's a huge change in your life. Yes. And yes. particularly if you are in a senior position um, or you're running your own business and you've been doing that for a long time, that's, you know, as much as being a, you know, this amazing endurance athlete that does triathlons is part of your identity. Running this company and being the figurehead of that company yeah. or being a senior person is a big part of your identity. And all of a sudden, if you haven't got that, mm-hmm. um, it's, a bit, it's a bit like a, um, a professional athlete retiring. If you haven't had any conversation with somebody about how to deal with that huge change in your life, it can, be, it, it can feel like a bereavement in itself, can't it? Yes, it can. And also, they've always been the leader and then suddenly there's – they might engage a coach. You know, I've had people from uh, multinational companies and they're having to listen to what that person's asking them to do. And I think they actually like that transition from mm-hmm. being master of their own destiny to then having someone say, this is what I'd like you to do to get healthier. You've probably been running this company, burning the candle, late nights, late drinking. Let's let's get your health back into um, good shape. And, and you must have come across this many a time with your yeah, I have, I have, and I've got, I've got a few folks now considering their options with their business, and you know how to sort of exit out of that, whether it's dramatically, as in not, not suddenly I'm going, but you know all in one go or easing the way out. And I think also, and this is a thing I I've spoken with Malcolm Brown about a lot, um, and that you know that you and I are either are going to experience if we're not already is that. There's a point where folks feel like coaches of our age are insignificant. They may be they and and that we're not needed anymore because the young bucks with the enthusiasm and the noise can do it. But actually, there's a no, I disagree there. There's an amount. Well, let me finish and then have your <laughs> yes. point. There's an amount of wisdom that you and I have acquired. Yes, that is very valuable. I know Malcolm said that. He said I get less work now, and yet he feels like he's got so much wisdom that he could share. Yes, um, and in part, and, and I feel like. If you look at going jumping aside from this at the moment, look, look at these um, blue zones. One um, and the documentary about them, one of the key factors there is that the older folks are not ignored; they're actually still part of the community because of their wisdom, and it's like eldership. Um, yeah, eldership—that's a lovely word, Simon. Eldership—I haven't heard that one before. And what I would also say is that you, if you, as an athlete, are still doing what you're doing and, and doing it well and mm. staying injury-free. There's actually something in your guidance that's going to make the difference to mm-hmm. their, their lives. And so many people said, oh, but I had to do that swim set, and I just don't know why he, she prescribed it, because it was just beyond me. And you go, that's probably because they haven't got quite the experience that a more mature mm-hmm. coach has. Mm-hmm. So it comes up in conversation all the time. But also mm. we've gathered, but and we stay on top, don't we? So we're doing our CPDs, we're... We're going off and doing refreshing mm-hmm. courses. We're staying on top of things. And talking to athletes, you stay on top of bike technology. Not that it's my favorite topic, <laughs> but I have to. You know, running shoes, you know, what running shoes do you advocate? Well, yep. I don't, you know, your, foot's, your feet are your feet, not mine. Um, but also how we deal with injuries that have beset us. 
Mm. I'm fortunate. I have had no time in hospital, never. Um, I thank my lucky stars. So I, I, but I'm very empathetic with those who've been unwell. Mm. Yeah, well, uh, um, I, I think that's that's very important point you make about the you know the the fact that you still are a beacon out there for people. You're still doing what you do, and that yes. does make you relevant. Um, I I think. I think perhaps it's just a part of the Western society is that older people get overlooked a little bit more. And so, uh, um, but we, we still become crotchety. No, we don't. No. <laughs> yeah. But you can be, you can, but you can also use that as an excuse. Can't you? People just go, oh, yeah, they're all, <laughs> they're all, all miserable. They're all miserable at that age. Um, and, and we've I know. Be crotchety about uh, our time in lives. No, you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I, I wanted to ask you about, um, we talked about polarized training and, uh, yes. the, um, whether you do any, yeah, uh, we, t- we talked too. about reducing the the intensity and the load a little bit for older athletes. But do do you prescribe high intensity training for your group for your tribe, yes, or is it very much very much an individual decision? Um, if they're more injury prone, I'm a little bit cautious. So they'll have one what I call a hit session in a week, if it's a build, you know, at the base, yes, we mm-hmm. still have a few bursts, mm-hmm. but if we're going into build and pre-race, then yes, I will have more um, hit sessions prescribed, but there'll be one cycling and one running. There won't be any more than that in a week and they're well spaced out. If it's their recovery week, then obviously it's not. Uh, most of my athletes are on a 2-1, um, for those who don't understand, who are listening, two weeks build and then one week um recovery mm-hmm. and then as we're coming into pre-race the the trans there's there's always going to be a brick session throughout the year um, yep. i think that's important so that brick session might either be a steady state or I, I might just say right i'd just like you to push hard for a 1k so i factor it in without them realizing that it's there uh, okay. do some hits within my snc you know we'll do tabata and Mm-hmm. one minute on one minute off um cardiovascular stuff so yes i'm i'm all for that and i think it they shouldn't be frightened of it um, mm-hmm. i'll work on rpe when it's within my class environment for those people who perhaps aren't as serious about their sport um uh, and you know we talked about walking and what a great exercise that was have you have you experimented yourself or with your athletes uh, about sending them out for a walk and then having some running within that. So, you know, go, go and walk for a minute or two, but then when you do your running for a minute, go a little bit harder. So it's, it's quite a brisk run and then walk for three or four minutes and then run. And so they're getting the benefits of being on the feet, some interval training, some low level endurance, some recovery. Yes. But I'll probably do it the other way round. If they're coming back from injury, okay, I, I will say to them, okay, I'd like you to do a brisk walk and introduce those elements Right. Um, and then one athlete just recently said, oh, I got carried away. So I'm coming back from injury. I've got a hamstring tear and I did 15, 20 minutes. And I went, you won't be running now for a month. And sure enough, she's not running. Mm. So I try and do it the other way, whereas the brisk walk is with dumbbells if they wish. Um, and then yep. I might ask them to stop and do some, some um, core exercises. You know, if mm-hmm. it's a nice day, you could do a plank, you could do some mm-hmm. tricep dips off a bench, you can um so I incorporate that side of it into a walk. But I haven't actually tried the walking and then gradually introducing the the running. But I think that's a really good idea. Thank you. I'm gonna take that. Yeah, we we do that quite a bit. I, I'm not keen these days on um 
doing long runs. I find that, you know, I've had I've had three minor knee operations, but I do notice that they complain a bit if I give them too much. But but what I do like to do is get out, maybe walk for an hour and a half and, and have some spells of running there where I run quite quickly. So I get the best of both worlds. And fortunately, Beth's training for an ultra race at the moment. So, oh, so, um, that, so we, what we, shoes do you wear for that? Because you're walking and running. Yeah, I I've transitioned to Hoka's in recent okay. years. That was that was a conversation I had with Dave Scott in in Hawaii because he was I noticed he'd been a long term um uh, had a long term sponsorship agreement with Sakoni and I noticed he was wearing these and he said yeah but he said I've got I've got sixty year old sixty five year old knees now Simon and I find that when I'm on my feet all day at events or coaching these are much better and so I I like the Hoka Speed Goats. Um, I, I have toyed with this because I, you know, you talked about hamstring tear. I slipped on some leaves uh, just probably end of November in the woods and tore my hamstring. Bad luck. And that was, you know, I stumbled and then landed and um, my my front foot went away and tore my hamstring. And the, you know, it could have been worse um, because if it hadn't if it hadn't grabbed hold, it, I could have uh, hyperextended and then um, ruptured my mm. cruciate ligament. But the point is. Whenever I go into the woods, I'm always conscious of the fact that it's quite muddy and soft ground, and I feel like I need some more um, useful shoes like cross-country shoes, but they don't tend to have a great deal of cushioning. And in order for me to get to the woods from my house, there's at least a kilometre of running along the towpath or along along the pavement, and that's too hard for my knees wearing a pair of shoes with limited cushioning so i have i've got to try and find a, a compromise of something that's got a reasonable um sole with grip but yes. has reasonable cushioning as well and so i'm using the hokers mostly um you know what a... i might do mm-hmm. if you don't mind Take... is carry my running shoes and a small rucksack yeah well I, I yeah that's a good and that's a good question or the, the other thing is you know uh, and this works into a good warm-up is to just walk the kilometer to the woods yes and run through the woods and then and then have a longer run through the woods off-road in the softer shoes and then walk back on the harder walk ground back. yes yeah yeah and, and i mean you know because you don't need to run all the way to the door do you and, I, and again you know uh, uh, another thing that i've experienced and i've been interested to know if you have is that um as i've got older and i notice other people say that is they need longer to warm up and cool down yes. And I a big advocate, 15 minutes minimum warm-up, yeah. 15 minutes minimum cool-down. Oh, we haven't got 15. Yes, you have. You make the time. Shorten the run if necessary. Mm. But you warm-up. But the other thing is, and I'm sure you advocate this, is, it, is to avoid so much tarmac running until it's pre-race, where they're going to have to race on yeah. tarmac, that they stick to all of their running off-road paths, mm. tra- trails, and do cross-country over the winter because – you know how fantastic that is for leg strength and um, balance stability. You, you you might be interested to know that the Brownleys have always spent more time running off road than on road. Um, I didn't and, know and, that. Yeah, and uh, I asked Alistair this actually about training for Ironman. You know, do you, do you find yes. you need to do more running on the road to to cope with the impact from the tarmac, which is less forgiving? And he said, no, not really. He said 20 years of running and doing 60 or 70 miles a week has uh, firmed my legs up. But, um, but I think I, the I th- average athlete, you, yeah, you, no, I think, I think um, you're right. But it's again, it's back to what we talked about cost versus benefits. For me, if I do too much running on the pavement, my knees flare up. So yeah. what's the, what's the best option for me in order to protect my knees? You know, is it, I might have to suffer a bit on race day 
but I don't want to suffer before race day with sore knees because that's going to limit my training. It is. The other thing I swear by, Simon, and that there's an, I, I think there is scientific evidence with this, is I take turmeric. Yeah. Well, and I have turmeric's got a lot of anti-cancer properties, hasn't it? So oh, well, it's that, but also it has made such a difference to my my joint and my confidence in my ability. Okay, combined with a healthy diet, two hundred and what is it? I'm taking one hundred twenty milligrams a day, um, mm-hmm. morning and night. It's it's been the answer. I was taking glucosamine, but I switched to turmeric about five years ago, and I swear by it. But it could just be that I've got stronger. Well, you know, research or not, there, there's there's also a huge placebo effect, isn't there? And um, so, that, you know, we we should take that into consideration. I, I also think that, you know, and this is this will be a whole new podcast, so we probably shouldn't disappear down this rabbit hole. But if you're following a if you're following a a dietary approach that gives you lots and lots of fresh foods and very little processed foods, mm-hmm. and that that leads to less inflammation in the body that's caused by your nutrition and that, that's not just sore muscles that's that's joints that's your gut lining that's everything and so i think i think there's a lot to be said for just eating whole foods and a good variety of foods um if you, if you want to reduce inflammation and that you know and i also think best. yeah hey listen joe it's been absolutely fantastic that you've read, you've shared lots and lots of lessons there from your own experiences and working with older athletes i'm Really grateful for you being here. Oh, thank, thank you, you for, for your time. Thank, you, thank been... you for being open and sharing as well about no, the. No, not uh, at all. I hope you didn't stuff. mind me just hitting on the HRT because people aren't open enough, and it's mm-hmm. like prostate cancer. You know, when I talk to my athletes, male, you mm-hmm. know, please get those those checks done, and they go mm, sheepish, and I go, please. <laughs> no, I honestly don't mind at all. I've had a few. I've had a quite a few athletes on um, where we talk specifically about menopause and um, you know amenorrhea and um, osteoporosis and bone deficiency and that sort of stuff so that's absolutely fine and I, like you say I think that information is useful and we we um, should be More talking about person. that yeah yeah <laughs> okay yet <laughs> all right joe um yes. i look forward to seeing you out there i'm really excited to see how you get on with that aquathlon this year and i hope your legs it's not um, this year it oh. will be no i'll do a qualifier this year the next year okay right so okay we'll start in earnest in march but uh anyone who wishes to approach tribe 50 there's a website um well, we'll... anyone up but i really appreciate your time and your your useful additions to the conversation thank you thank you joe um, okay take care and i look forward to seeing you out there Okay, look after yourself. Be kind. <laughs> bye bye. Thank you. Thank you again to Joe for being a guest on my show this week. She's a few years ahead of me on this journey, so I will definitely be taking heed of some of her advice going forward. Now, if you haven't already listened to them, please check out our new bite-sized podcast episodes, which are released every Saturday. They're around 10 minutes in length, and I share some insights on some very specific topics. And make sure you check out the show notes for links to all of the items that I talk about today. Also, if you're able to share this episode with just one person you think could benefit, that would be awesome. And if you've a couple more minutes, perhaps you could leave me a review on your chosen platform once this podcast has ended. That's all for this week. In seven days time, I'll have another great guest and I hope you'll be able to join me. But in the meantime, Please remember to check out our bite-sized episodes every Saturday.